0: You're listening to What Does the Word Say, a series of podcasts on biblical theology produced by Grace and Glory Media. My name is Mark Roby, and I'm your host for this series. Our teacher is Dr. Richard Spencer. Today's podcast is a special session. It's our great pleasure to be able to interview Professor Henry Schaefer III. Professor Schaefer received his Bachelor of Science degree in Chemical Physics from MIT, and his Ph.D. in the same area from Stanford University. He is currently the Graham purdue Professor of Chemistry and the Director of the Center for Computational Quantum Chemistry at the University of Georgia. He is also one of the world's most highly accomplished and regarded physical chemists. He has over 1,600 publications, and it's been reported that he has been nominated for a Nobel Prize five times. He's won so many awards and has given so many talks all over the world that it would be silly to even begin to list them. But the most important thing about Professor Schaefer is that he is a Bible-believing Christian and unashamedly speaks of Christ wherever he goes. Before we begin, I'd like to point out that Dr. Schaefer has written an excellent book called Science and Christianity, Conflict or Coherence, which is in its second edition, Dr. Spencer was able to interview Professor Schaefer on Wednesday afternoon, October 3rd, 2018, prior to Schaefer giving a lecture at the University of California in Davis.
1: Well, Professor Schaefer, it's a pleasure to have you as a guest on What Does the Word Say? And thank you for agreeing to do the interview. Thank you. Good to be here. I'd like to begin with a few questions just to let our listeners know a little bit more about you. So. You were born in Grand Rapids, Michigan, but you attended public schools in New York and California before graduating from high school in Grand Rapids. So why did you move so much? Well, my dad worked for the largest company in Grand Rapids called American Seating Company,
2: school seats, stadium seats, auditorium seats, and uh, they just kept moving around until they got far enough up in the food chain in Grand
1: Rapids. They stayed there for the rest of his career. All righty. And right at the moment, you're a professor obviously working in quantum chemistry. So how would you explain what you do for a living to someone who doesn't have much of a science background? Quantum chemistry is chemistry without test tubes,
2: odorless chemistry. Uh, we use the equations of quantum mechanics to make predictions of all manner of things that experimentalists are either too cowardly to do uh, or are just impossible. So we, we try to guide real chemists using the computer.
1: All right. Can you explain for somebody who's not in science what quantum, quantum mechanics is all about a little bit? Well, quantum mechanics begins in 1926 with a series of papers by
2: uh, Austrian physicist Erwin Schrodinger in which he basically carried out in a mathematical way the idea that uh, waves and particles are related uh, particle behavior can be described in a wave-like manner, uh, and sometimes wave-like things can be described in particle-like manner. So these these equations go way back to 1926, uh, that probably the most important year in the history of uh, modern physics. righty now you were you raised in a Christian home? No, I was not. I was raised in a in a loving home by uh, parents that. Um, concerned about me from my birth until uh, the month they both died in uh, in 1988. They both died in the same month? My uh, mom died of a heart attack, and my dad had Alzheimer's or something like it, and he died of a broken heart a week later. Oh my
1: goodness, that's a terrible thing to go through. How old were you? I was 43. 43? Yeah. Now, in one of your writings, though, you say that the Jesus you knew in childhood was a well-intentioned infinitely tolerant person who laid down some simple moral rules. So if you weren't raised in a Christian home, did you go to church with friends, or how did you learn well, about that, my Jesus? parents went to church. We went to the Episcopal Church. Okay. Yeah, we we went to
2: church, but uh, there, there wasn't too much about Jesus. All right. It was, uh, it, if you wanted to be prominent in Grand Rapids, being a member of Grace Episcopal Church was a very good thing.
1: <laughs> All right.
2: Uh, Gerald Ford, President of the United States, became President. He was... He and my my dad were were best friends growing up. They they both neither one came from wealthy families, and uh, Jerry was a member of the uh, Grace Episcopal Church. And if you wanted to get into the Kent Country Club, most prestigious place in the county, you uh, it would be good to be a member of Grace Episcopal Church. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, then, how did you become a Christian? Well, it's it's a, as with many, it's a long story. It began at age 17 when I started to think seriously about things. And it, uh, it ended, that lost stage of my life ended, uh, uh, well, it began to end uh, just as I completed my PhD at Stanford University. But it really didn't happen until four years later when I was a young professor at the University of California at Berkeley. So a lot took place. God was trying to get my attention for a long, long time. And as is always the case, he got it.
1: Yeah, he doesn't miss, does he? Right. <laughs> Was there any particular event that precipitated your coming to Christ, or just?
2: Well, the, uh, four years before I came a Christian, I began to think about the uh, historical evidence for the resurrection of Christ, and um, after about three years of that, I decided not only is the resurrection true, but it's one of the best attested facts in all of ancient history. And then there was another year to kind of get things together before I uh, received Christ into my life.
1: All right. Now, you and your wife went through the terrible experience of having a baby die of SIDS. Can you explain how your faith helped you get through that period?
2: Uh, Yeah, this was in 1979. We had not been Christians for too long, December 9th, 1979. And, um, this was a stage in my life when I was trying to become famous. Uh, I had a, a, a very nice offer from the University of Texas, uh, an endowed chair and an institute that was going to be started just for me. And so I was spending about half the time in Texas and half the time in uh, in, in Berkeley and being paid a half a salary by both and, uh, and uh, went to church on a Sunday morning, December 9th and uh, got back to my office because I was just staying in a hotel and my wife called me and told me that uh, that our our son Pierre had uh, had had died so it was yeah it's the hardest thing I've been through yet
1: and how did your faith help with that do you think it's in terms uh, of coping with it
2: well I would say that neither Karen nor I ever felt any any anger toward God you know we get far enough along that we understood that all things work for good for those who love Christ. Um, so we knew we knew good things were coming, uh, and we were surrounded by Christian friends. at uh, At that point, we'd been in Berkeley for, you know, so I was in Texas. Our son died in 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 uh, California, so I hurried back, and we were just you know I was met at the airport by a dozen people, all of whom we loved and. Taken back to the house, and they just watched over us for uh, for quite a few
1: days. Okay. Well, do you have a favorite book of the Bible or a favorite verse, and and why? First John five thirteen. Okay, which says these things
2: have I written that you may know that you have eternal life, you that believe in the name of the Son of God. Uh, that that verse was a, a significant part of my becoming a, a Christian. I. Uh, uh, I was actually leading a Bible study of some high school kids at a, a Lutheran church, even though I wasn't a Christian, and uh, I knew I didn't know much about the Bible, uh, but I had been studying. I'd, I'd been reading a chapter in the Bible since I was seventeen years old, uh, but I didn't know much. Uh, but I knew that that uh, a lot of these youngsters, we probably had fifteen high school kids in that class, uh, several of them were Christians, and so we'd get to a passage and if I wasn't quite sure what it meant, I'd ask the, the students, well, what do you think this means? And somebody would always have a good answer. <laughs> and, uh, and 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 uh, went back home with my wife, Karen, and uh, we looked at the verse together and, and said, you know, it looks like you can know you're going to heaven if you believe in Jesus Christ. And uh, it wasn't more than a day after that that I realized that I was going to have it. Now I can't tell you when that, that might have happened sometime before that, but that was the point at which I was cognizant that I had become a Christian.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and of course, it sounds like the church you were in. I seem to remember the last time you were here, you said something about the main requirement for being a leader of a youth group was that you had a Suburban. We had a
2: brand new bright red Chevrolet Suburban. There were no rules about seatbelts. We could put 25 kids into that suburban and take them wherever they wanted to go.
1: That's sort of a lamentable comment about the state of the church, isn't it? Well, <laughs> that's why we were chosen by the pastor. He saw the car in the parking lot. <laughs> All right. And so you you wrote at one point also, you said that, uh, in, unlike the childhood Jesus you knew that was this infinitely tolerant person, you found out that the, the Jesus described in the pages of the New Testament is a little less tolerant.
2: Yes, yes, yeah, He's uh, he's certainly... All-loving, all-perfect, but he demands fidelity from his
1: people. Mm -hmm. And holy living. Yeah. Yeah, We're called the holy life. Mm -hmm. All right, well, let's move on to something a little bit more along the lines of science here. We live in an amazing time in history, um, I think, anyway. We've learned so much in the last 150 years, both biblical archaeology confirming many of the details of the Bible, and then in terms of science, we know so much more about the complexity of the origin of life and, and also about the origin of the universe that uh, I think it's simply intellectually untenable to be an atheist. Do, do you agree with that? or um, Intellectually untenable. Um, I would almost agree with that.
2: All right. I, I think there is good evidence for the existence of God. I don't think it comes to proof, certainly not mathematical proof, but I think there is very good
1: evidence. All right. What would you say is the best evidence?
2: I'd say the best evidence is um, the comprehensibility of the universe. Why things make sense. Why one can use mathematical physics to understand so many things.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, why the universe makes sense rather than nonsense. Uh, I, I would say that's. I would put up at the at the top of the list.
1: Right. I know you've taught a number of times before about you know the history of science, and of course, there's this mistaken idea out there that originated back in the 1800s that there was warfare between science and Christianity, which is not really true. Right. And you've spoken a lot about that.
2: Mm-hmm. You'll
1: hear a little bit about that tonight. Right. All right. And the origin of science coming from a sort of a Christian worldview. Why? Why do you think that is? What do you think is the the main reason that science was mostly continuously and steadily developed in a Christian society? Um. A number of reasons. I don't want
2: to take too long. That this your your listeners should get my book, Science and Christianity. All right, because it goes through a bunch of these reasons in uh, in great detail. Um, one can argue that science might have developed in the absence of the Christian faith of its founders. But in fact, it never did. It never did. There were moments, certainly there were moments um, in science where uh, persons of, uh, of other philosophies uh, made progress, but uh, but they weren't continuous. I mean, the most striking example um I know is that of the um, the famous observatory in Istanbul, the Galata Observatory. Now this is this is contemporary with Tycho Brahe, uh, who had this amazing uh, uh, observatory in the West and discovered all sorts of uh, things. Tycho Brahe, and you may have forgotten, is the guy who had a gold nose. Mm-hmm. He lost his nose in a duel. As a youth, he had a gold nose, and of course, his body was dug up many, many times. People looking for the gold nose, but I'm not even sure the gold nose was buried with him. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, he made revolutionary advances. the The, uh, observ- the Galata Observatory was uh, was completed, and uh, within just a few days, it was burned. It was razed to the ground by a, 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 a mob instigated by the local uh, Muslim. Leader, now something like that could happen anywhere, uh, due to any religion. But the point is, it was another goodness sakes three hundred years before a, a major observatory was constructed in the Middle East. So there really was um, an inability to go forward with uh, with science. So that's 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 a part of it. I would say.
1: righty. Well, as someone who's thought deeply about the structure of nature and, and also as a Bible-believing Christian, I'm curious what you think about the origin of consciousness and volition. I think the honest answer is not very much.
2: <laughs> uh, I mean, these are, these are tough, tough subjects. I mean, I, I don't think it makes any sense other than a belief in the sovereign God of the universe. Uh-huh. You know, to argue how this happened... This is complicated. We're talking chemistry. This is this is remarkably complicated. The idea that it just happened seems pretty improbable to me.
1: Hmm. And how has being a Christian impacted your work as a scientist? Um, it certainly gives me a, a greater appreciation
2: for um, for science. Uh, the idea that um, which has struck me a number of times that when you find something really new, and you look at it, and you ponder it a bit, and you say, "Wow!" So that's how God did it, and that's a special feeling. Mm-hmm. That's that's a very
1: special feeling. Yeah, yeah. It's always amazing when you get to learn more about God, isn't it? Whether it's from the book of nature or the book of God's word. And I think this is a good place to take a short break. So let me remind our listeners that they can email their questions and comments to info at
0: whatdoesthewordsay.org. We'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to What Does the Word Say, brought to you by Grace and Glory Media. And I'm Mark Roby. In our next session, we'll continue this interview with Dr. Henry Schaefer. We hope you'll join us. The session you heard today is available, along with all other sessions, in the archive on our website at whatdoesthewordsay.org We also have a free book available to you entitled Good News for All People written by Rev. P.G. Matthew Founder and Senior Minister of Grace Valley Christian Center To request your free copy of this excellent summary of the biblical message of salvation go to whatdoesthewordsay.org